Hey good people, this is your N.I. Dom, back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So hey, 16 Traits of a Narcissistic Parent. 16 Traits of a Narcissistic Parent is my starting point. Um, I'm not sure. I don't want it to be my ending point. I don't. But I, it, it might end up being that. Because there are, some, there are 16 traits I want to share with you. I want to process that with you. Where I'd like to go in this reflection, and I'm not sure if I will be able to. What I'd like to do in this reflection is to let you know or give you an, a window inside of the work that I've been doing. The inner work that I'm doing and possibly some stuck points I'm starting to get to a place where I am ready to challenge myself to grow beyond the trauma and that's a very hard thing to do because it has taken me so long to embrace the trauma not embrace the trauma that's not the way I want to say it but to embrace that I have been impacted by trauma. It took me a long time. And I think it's just been recent. And what I don't want to do is to, in the spirit of growing beyond the trauma, is to act like I've, not, I've never been traumatized, if you will. I'm not saying this the way I want to say it, but I'm gonna, I'll clean it up on the other side of the disclaimers. I just want to let you know that I'm going to talk to you about 16 traits of a narcissistic parent. I'm going to tell you where these traits come from. And um, on the other side of the, the disclaimers. And uh, and to give you, I'd like to give you a window into my work with inner in healing, my healing journey. And possibly some areas that I need to grow in. We'll see. That's pretty ambitious, right? We'll see what happens on the other side of the disclaimers, okay? Hey, but if you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two theories that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I lean into tenets of critical race feminism, which basically means I have an intellectual sensitivity to social constructs of power, such as race, class, gender, sexuality, just to name a few. This project is unedited and is unscripted. To know more about it or me, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. You guys see how slow I took, how, how I took my time with those disclaimers. Lately, I've been, my setup, my introduction has been so long that I don't want to leave proper time to do the disclaimers. And I'm like rushing really fast. And so it felt really good to just be, just to take my time. <laughs> so when I was doing the disclaimers, what, there was something that popped in my head about um, conspiracy. 
um, uh, earlier this week, I was like, well, you guys know, I don't talk about it a lot in this project, but I don't hide it. I'm very much into politics. As a social scientist, I would guess you would understand that, right? You would understand that I'm interested. Political science is one of the social sciences. And uh, so I, I, I am a big news ju- uh, political junkie. And, um, and so naturally, I have been like consuming a lot of content about the indictments, the presidential indictments, because it's historical. Um, it's historical is one major reason why I'm taking in a lot of content like this. Like we are testing the system. The system was built for a time like this, but we've never tested it. And so that is one reason why I've taken a lot of content, a lot of political uh, content, or why I'm taking in content related to the indictments. The other thing is I'm learning a lot about law, <laughs> just the legal system. And there is an intersection of law and politics, uh, naturally, but this has given me, listening to the indictments, um, it's just given me access to learn learn more about the legal world and as a person that initially wanted to you know I chose the social sciences to to get into politics but I wanted to be you know most politicians are lawyers so I chose social science so I can go to law school my my ultimate aim was to be a politician and um, I learned early on, actually, when I was still in undergrad, I did two internships. One at the, I worked for the mayor's office, and then I also worked for the U.S. Department of Education in D.C. And uh, I learned early on that that's not the kind of change work I wanted to do. That politics just wasn't, it wasn't for me. It, it wasn't going to be the pathway for me to do the kind of change work I wanted to do. So anyway... But I'm still interested in law. I've taken a few law classes and I just love it. I just, you know, I think that's the J in me, the TJ rather, the analytical part of me. So anyway, the other, so that's the second reason why I've been taking in the indictments to learn more about law. Um, and then the third thing that's been happening as I've been listening to the, these, about this indictment, I've, right from the beginning, mm, Maybe, maybe, no, maybe when the, cause you know, there are four indictments. When the second one happened, when the second indictment occurred, or was it the third one? I don't remember it. Frankly, I don't remember. I don't even know why I'm trying to act like I know the order. Anyway, anyway, um, why am I, what am I trying to say? Hold on a second. I'm losing my train of thought. Hold on. Well, somewhere early in the process, I started feeling conflicted. So naturally, I have a point of view. I believe that there was wrongdoing that happened um, at the presidential level. Um, I, I'm nervous about the concept of accountability because of the precedence that it will set for future presidents. That makes me nervous. But I also understand the precedence that will be established if accountability isn't given. It doesn't happen, you know. So that's a, that's an area of conflict for me. Um, and the other is 
watching the other area of conflict that I'm experiencing as I'm watching these indictments and just taking in all this content is watching how the legal system can take a person down. Wow. And if you if you are voting for that person to be taken down, you're not going to look at the legal system that way. You're like, yeah. But what happens when you're on the when you're on the other side of that and the legal system is taking down someone that you believe is innocent? E, you know, and so as a justice person, as a person who's an advocate for those of us in the margins, I do believe we have a justice system that has harmed the margins. I, I do believe that. So it's, it, I do feel a little conflicted to be like, yes, get him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, e, yeah, because it's just a system. It's a, it's a machine that can be used for good and for evil. Basically, I guess as anything could be used for good and for evil. So, so anyway, anyway, the reason why I bring it up, <laughs> that's a, I'm surprised I didn't fall. That was a rabbit hole, but I'm surprised I didn't stay in it longer. The reason why I brought it up is just because um, earlier this week, as I was just thinking about that one indictment out of Georgia about the co-conspirators, this 19, the RICO charges and uh, how they're going to bring a group of people to justice. When it's 19 of them. That's fascinating. And and what else is fascinating about this? And believe it or not, this is my... I'm, I'm, don't hang up on me yet. Don't stop the record. Because some of you are probably like, I don't do politics. Many people that I know in the type community be like, I don't do politics. So just hang in there. <laughs> I'm going to have to put a disclaimer in there. The first few minutes, I talk politically. But um, there's a. this is my entrance point into the discussion about the 16 traits of the toxic parent or I said narcissistic parent parent because that's the title of the content I took in but I'm going to use the word toxic or immature I don't, don't want to use the word narcissist but anyway I'm setting I'm, I'm setting it up just so you know so earlier this week I was thinking about that indictment out of Georgia where there are 19 co-defendants rather and the, the how the RICO charges work and I don't know this well enough yet but it is something I want to study I guess the book costs like $200 or $250 to learn how RICO happens in each state and in our country. I'd love to purchase that book. I really would. really would. <laughs> I don't know if it would become one of my staples, my books that I have out, uh, out of the bookshelves, but it definitely is a book I want. And what I find fascinating is how you can make a case for something that doesn't have a direct smoking gun and I don't know if that's the proper way to um, frame it I don't know but how do you hold somebody responsible who doesn't here it is how do you hold how do you hold somebody responsible who doesn't commit the crime but orchestrates and directs the people who commit the crime how do you do that without without the smoking gun, without having evidence that the person said, hey, go commit this crime. Um, I want you to rob this bank and I want you to rob it this way on the, at this time. And um, if you don't have that type of statement, can you not hold that person accountable? 
for orchestrating the crime? Yeah, you can with the, this RICO charge. And that's what's fascinating. Now, let's, let's bring it and let's make this relevant. That's how I have felt in a family system that has caused harm without a smoking gun. Without the confession or the witness of the person that's orchestrating the harm, how do you hold them accountable? And I'm not saying hold them accountable in a court of law, but how do you hold them accountable as in you are responsible for this? You're responsible for this. Even though there are a lot of hidden, even there's no, although there's no hard upfront evidence that that person was was responsible for it. How do you do it? So I've been thinking about the RICO charges for a number of areas of harm in the social world that I study, whether it's family, the education system. I'm definitely going to write an essay on that. How do you hold, how do you make culpable or how do you hold the per, how do you hold how do you hold the entity responsible for causing harm when this the evidence isn't as clear that they are the ones who caused the harm? How do you do that? Okay. All right. So that was on my brain earlier this week and then um another um you know, I'm on YouTube. I'm on I list I I'm I take in content on YouTube and because I take in content on YouTube, YouTube is forever populating videos for me. Like, yeah, you might be interested in this. And so they, I think the, the YouTube gods kind of have me figured out. They pretty much put things in front of me that will distract me. And then I have to listen to it (laughs) knowing that I should be doing something else. Right. Well, one thing that popped up was this video, 12 traits of a narcissistic, not 12, Nope, they didn't even give a number. I think the title of it, I'll have to share it. Well, well I'm going to have to name it because I'm, I'm going to have to put it in the show notes. So it'll be in the show notes, the correct, the correct title. Something to the effect of traits, or no, not traits, tactics. Did I say traits? Tactics, because tactics are different from traits. Tactics of a narcissistic parent. And... um that caught my attention. I wanted to, I wanted to um, take in that content and I couldn't at the time. I really couldn't. And so I saved it. I have a little system where I, when there's content that comes up and I can't consume it right then and there because I'm going to be disciplined. So in this moment, I was actually disciplined. I didn't stop what I was doing, <laughs> but I did save the video. And I'm on travel. Um, I'll be more specific. I'm visiting my sister. And, um, And as most of the time when I visit my sister, there's, there are multiple family members in the house beyond my sister's family. So my sister has kids. So usually I'm in the house with multiple people outside of my sister's house. And so, and you guys know it every, for the past three years, every time I come here, there's some kind of either conflict or deep reflection about trauma. And that's when it, so It's interesting that I was like, you're going to go, you're going to go visit your sister and you're not going to talk about trauma. 
we're not going to do that this time. And yet here I am <laughs> talking about trauma, but I had really tried to not. And, uh, but this video that came up early in the week came up before I really knew I was going to be making this trip. This was a, this was a trip that was kind of last minute. There's a, and there's a story to that, that I don't want to tell, not because it's, I don't want to tell it, but it just will take me off course. And I definitely would fall into a rabbit hole. So you have to trust me. It was kind of a last minute decision. And the video on the tactics of a narcissistic parent came up bef- the earlier in the week before I, made, I decided to, to travel. So anyway, so I saved it. And then as I was driving in, because it's a drive, it's not a short drive, um, but it is a drive that can be done in a day. For me, it takes a, a day. My sister said I drive like a turtle. It pissed me off. <laughs> it's, it feels very competitive. Like, And maybe because I used to drive fast. That's probably what it is. I used to drive fast. I used to enjoy it, like getting to my destination, like beating. If the, if the trip is supposed to take 12 hours, I want to say, look at I can do it in 10, right? I used to be that way. And then I got to a place where I learned to enjoy arriving to my destination relaxed. <laughs> I didn't know that when you were, when you drive fast like that, it gives an intensity, you know, it's intense, it's stressful. And when I started making it to my destination, unstressed, I was like, Hey, that feels good. And then I enjoy pulling, taking naps, going, especially if I give myself time, stopping at hotels random just random stops i love that <laughs> it's just fun it's, it's just very relaxing so my sister calling me a turtle pissed me off because it's the old part of me that's like i can do it i can drive faster <laughs> so anyway she knows it takes me off too and then her friend last night was a co co-signed and uh I know, and this friend is kind of like family because um, I, I knew her when she came into the world. So like I knew my sister when she came into the world. I knew her friend when she came into the world. They, she'd just been around since they were friends and their moms carried them at the same time. They were pregnant at the same time. It was It's just a really interesting story. So anyway, <laughs> so I was the big sister to those two, my sister and her friend. And, but because of, we're five years apart, we didn't really, I don't really remember playing with them. I don't, I just don't have a, a lot of that. But anyway, so that's the whole, but they were like trying to gang up on me last night. And that problem, that wasn't the problem. Like that didn't cause the problem for me. The problem is, if you remember, I made a disagreement with my sister that I wouldn't have conflict in her world. And it's an agreement that is really going to stop me from coming around because in order for me not to have conflict, I gotta, I've got to be subjected to things. And, and I'm, I've, I'm, it, that agreement with my sister renders me helpless. It makes me vulnerable. For what? I'm the only one with the agreement. She's not giving that agreement to other, that she's not put other people on that agreement. <laughs> so had this, you know, so I, anyway, I mean, I can break it. And I did break the agreement a little bit last night, but in the spirit of trying to have a relationship with my, with my 
a healthy relationship with my my sister, I want to try to honor that agreement because she asked me sincerely. She said it stresses her out. That's a long story. I've talked about this agreement before, so you have to go back and listen to it. So anyway, anyway, I see that's another rabbit hole. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know why I went down that pathway, but I uh, so I listened. Anyway, I drove here. <laughs> <laughs> I drove to my sister's house and, um, yeah, I know how I fell into it. Cause I was talking about, I took, you know, I, it, it's a trip I did in a day. I actually did not pull over and, and take any rest like I normally do. But so I did it straight through me and my turtle self. <laughs> and, um, I listened to the content, the, the, the tac the tactics of a talk of a narcissistic parent but I couldn't take notes because I was driving and there were so many pieces in that content that was relatable I was like oh it was um in a really weird way so you heard me say at the beginning of this reflection at this um, I said I came to, I've come to terms that I come you know that I experienced trauma and all of that I have yet I think that there is still some denial uh, ignorance or distancing I'm not sure because as I was listening to the 16 traits it really caught my attention how almost all I could probably make a case that I experienced all 16 of those tactics but even if I didn't stretch it, I'm going to show you when I get to those 16 tactics that 15 of them, I can give you very direct evidence that I was on the receiving end of 15 out of the 16 of those tactics. And like I said, I could make a case for all 16. But I believe, let's just put it this way. I really believe it's 15, but I didn't count them. But I just was struck by, but it's definitely over 10, definitely over 10. (laughs) I want to be precise with you all. This, this feels important to be like, don't, I'm going to curse you guys. So just so you know, if you got kids around, I'm going to curse. Don't bullshit. This is not something to bullshit with. This is real. You know what I mean? Like this is a serious accusation. And you know how we held parents in high regard parents are like right under God and when parents make mistakes we forgive them we are expected to forgive and understand and I am okay with that to be honest with you and maybe I'm too okay with it because it is striking to me that I would listen to this content on the way to this on the road and be like dang I was the recipient of many of these tactics. And yet, I don't walk around with a consciousness of it. So when I started in this project, your NIDOM project, and I started with these disclaimers fairly early on. Um, and one of the reasons why I added the disclaimers is because I knew that if I was going to talk about being an INTJ at the time, I wasn't saying INTJ eight. I was 
was, I think I was just saying INTJ initially, that if other INTJs came to this project, they would go, oh, she's a little different. Her affect is a little different. And I wanted to fact, I wanted to kind of give some possibility, like, just let you know, here's the variance to me. You know, culturally, my occupation, my Enneagram type, these are the, and and that was the variance. I wanted to just make sure that other INTJs didn't have their panties in a bunch. They're like, that's different. (laughs) Because, you know, the typology community can be really diagnostic, like, they're not really an INTJ. They're this whatever. So um, so that's why I started the disclaimers. And then I remember adding the trauma piece. I don't think the trauma piece was added in initially. I don't think I I don't think I did. And to be honest with you, I was embarrassed about I was embarrassed by it. Because as an eight, I don't want to talk about being traumatized or um, excuse me, yep, victimized. And I'm not a victim that I don't want to be vulnerable. So I'm definitely not going to talk to you about my vulnerability. I think that's, that might be the key here. That might be the key. That I distance my, oh, this is so good. I'm realizing it. It's not, I'm distancing myself from being vulnerable or being victimized. Because I don't, you know, I feel like I'm better than that. Not that there's anything wrong with people who identify with their trauma. Because honestly, if you don't, if you don't acknowledge it, you could be seriously walking around in the world damaged and damaging others because you're not coming to terms with your own, with with, with the abuse, the, the, the impact that it has. So I don't, I don't belittle that. I just don't need to talk about that in the world. Um, in, in some regard, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to, I, I definitely am not trying to give off a, whoa, it's me. Look, it feels bad for me. Look at that, you know. And last night, with the whole bullying thing, like that's what my, my sister and her, her, <laughs> her first friend was doing. And it's a lightweight bullying. Like this is not the kind of, you know, they were younger. Uh, but it was like a ganging up. They were like doing this ganging up on me, calling calling my type. They knew I didn't like it. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It is funny. But it wasn't the only thing that there was. It was like it was. It's like being in that space, and that's how people relate to each other. This is. It's like a house of. It's a word I need to come up with. Anyway, I don't. Anyway, because I don't want to my sister ever finds this project I don't want her to feel like I'm beating up on her because she's an amazing host I love her pieces but she already knows that I'd say that the people that she brings around mm, 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 they're gremlins <laughs> they're just like I I, I suspect Oh, anyway, we've ta- I've talked about that again. I don't want to fall into a rabbit hole. But anyway, so there's this ganging up thing that's pretty indicative of the experience when you're coming into the house. And so last night I was like, this is why I fought physically coming up. This is why I was a, a fighter. I never started fights. Oh, I never n- knew how to get out from a, a bullying experience. Like when you encounter a bully, 
I never knew how to, I was a, I'm a, I am a, I'm a prime candidate to be bullied as, I think as an NI Dom, right? I'm in my head, you know, um, and because I've been wounded, there is a, there is a, uh, how I was raised to, there was a wounding and I'm, uh, I'll explain that in the pot. I'll, I, I hope to explain that even though I, I used to be afraid to talk, talk about this out loud. And now it just feels, it's my damn story. That's, that's what's interesting about it. You guys, I'm going to be a little loopy here. Uh, partly because it's difficult for me to, it is still, it is a little difficult for me to talk about. It is. I'm not going to lie, but I'm not scared to talk about it. It's just difficult. And so I might jump around a little bit, just so you know. And you're probably going, you're an NIDOM. You always drop, you always jump around. <laughs> What's different? Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so I didn't, there, I was a, like a prime candidate to be bullied. I, I came to understand that within the last 10 years um, about myself. But the difference with me, as with other kids who are bullied, is that you only had to do it one time. You only, like, as long as that bullying was verbal, I didn't know what to do. I did not, I didn't have, I don't have the verbal skills to get back at a bully. Not in that way. Because I, I think it's because I don't have the feeling function at the top of my stack. But I can deal with an organizational bully. Yes, I can. And that's probably why I like law. Because I know I can use systems to fight. Structures to fight. But when it's just emotions, I don't know how to do that. So when um, people do this verbal thing, and I just said, I would have to just take it. I mean, I tried to talk back, but it would just make it worse because I sound so dorky and corny. And, and they'd be like, ah, you know, it was just, I learned just, I just, just sat there. I remember being in a class once and I was the target of that. All, yes, in a class. I don't think I've ever said that out loud to anybody before. Now, interestingly, see, that only lasted so long because most bullies when you're bullying a kid, and I'm an educator, so I know I see it as an adult now. It's it's not when uh, a, a bully finds a target, and if that target doesn't respond or get from underneath that bully, then that bullying escalates. It it it, it intensifies, and usually and usually it 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 goes into physical. At some point, it gets physical. And that was, and now you guys have heard me say this, the physical part, believe it or not, was my saving grace. See, as long as the bullying stayed verbal, you know, verbal, you know, ganging up on me, like, like, um, isolating me with, you know, friends and yeah, isolating me, excluding me. I, I, it, you know, it was not much I could do there, especially if I could remove myself from the environment. I had to go to school. You know what I mean? I had to walk to school. like. But the moment you put, they would put their hands on me, I was in my comfort zone. See, I could then go to my SE, although fourth in my stack, I was very, because of how I grew up, you know, I grew up, I don't know, my, my sister grew up uh, 
in the same environment, but she wasn't a fighter, but she didn't have to fight. Maybe that's why. Maybe she had to fight. She would have developed. She would have developed that ability, but she didn't have to fight. I had. I did the fighting because I wasn't going to let you put your hands on me, and I wasn't going to let you intimidate me. That was the other thing. That was the other thing that even though they were bullying, I wouldn't change. You, you know, you weren't going to. Nobody took my like school my lunch or took money from me. It wasn't. It wasn't that kind of situation because I was still very defiant. I think the biggest issue is that I didn't have the verbal skills to just war back and forth with the kids. So the kids would put their hands on me. And then that was my sweet spot. And then I had the reputation. You don't want to, you don't want to do that with her. That was really the reputation I ended up, I developed. Now, what happens is then if I was a, if I was transient and thank God my mom didn't have us moving from neighborhood to neighborhood, school to school. But we did move several, a couple of times. And I did have to change schools a couple of times. And so in each of those environments, each in new environment I went in, I had to have a fight. This is me hindsight. I didn't go in. It wasn't like I was a kid. And then I was like, oh, we got, don't remember. You got to have a fight in order to get. It wasn't like that. I didn't have that kind of awareness. This is hindsight. Me as an adult thinking back that every environment I fought one time. That was it. And I would love to tell you that that stopped once I became an adult. And it did not. And I would love to tell you that it stopped when I was, after I went into mid-adult life. It did not. (laughs) But because of choices that I make now, I don't believe I'm going to be in another fight. Unless, not a, you know. Because, um, and I'm bringing this back, I'm bringing this back. Sorry about that. I'm bringing this back. I'm going to bring it back to the um, the trauma. And remember I said, I want to talk about the work that I've been doing. Here it is. I haven't even given you the 16 tactics. But the work that I've been doing, um, once you, once you understand that your today it is the sum total of your yesterday and I said this either last week or two weeks ago I said the life you lived that you're living today is the result of choices you made in the past or somebody else's choices if you in case you were a kid because you can't really be responsible for a lot of things when you're a kid because your parents are responsible for you but the point is the same that your today is the product of from your yesterday so if you, once I started learning that there was, there were attributes about me, my personality, that was the result of that trauma. I learned that. I learned that there were choices I was making because of that trauma. And then I, and then I remember when I really, like, when it, I think when my healing journey started was when I realized that I was, Acting out of my family's historical pain. I acted out it out. And so it's so. um, And I don't it could. Yeah, this is an interesting thing. Like I was I. I would be this is going to sound like I'm contradicting myself, but let me say it and then I'll try to see if I can clean it up. And if not, then I'll just have to fix something I said earlier because it definitely feels like a contradiction. 
that in my family, I, um, not within my family, but like if my family would go somewhere and we were like, we would be somewhere out. I would be like the aggressor or even in the family. But that wasn't when I was a kid. This is that, that becoming the aggressor in my, the aggressor in my family was like adulthood. And that wasn't doing that. Maybe if I would learned to be aggressive when I was a kid, I wouldn't have been bullied. And maybe that's why I was aggressive as an adult, because I was bullied as a kid. You know what I mean? But I never started a fight, but I was more like confronting, you know. So I don't I stopped doing that because I started coming to terms with this is not your problem. Like you're getting into these arguments and conflict with people because you are a pawn in the system. What would happen if you removed yourself? This is, it was an experiment. If you removed yourself, would the family have the conflict? Yes, I suspected it, but I, I didn't know it because I was always the one that was kind of like the scapegoat, if that will, that, that was the role I played in the family. And I, in my, really my early thirties, maybe, yeah, early thirties, early to mid thirties, I started going, remove yourself. And then I would find out, like, go home early. Don't go to that event. And then I would find out somebody else stepped in to play the part. So you guys, there was an episode I did at the big, like in spring, right around springtime, before summer, well before summer. And it's called drama and scripts or scripts and drama, whatever, drama roles or whatever. But there's a script. There's a, it's like a story with characters and there's a storyline and there's a character. So who plays the part of those characters can change. And that's what I stopped doing. I stopped playing a particular character in the drama script. I stopped playing it. And, um, Somebody else had to step in and play that character. I stopped playing it. I retired. I retired from that character, that role. <laughs> so anyway, I think when you start coming to terms with the trauma and when you confront it, then you can make better choices. Right. And you can start being a better version of yourself. Because if the version of you, if the version of you is, is, um, it has been created by the trauma. Is that you? It can't, I guess it is. But I don't, as a as an eight, I think this is the eight part of me. It could be the INTJ part of me. I don't know. I don't want to be controlled by anything. Uh, I, I don't want to be controlled. So I definitely don't want to be controlled by some trauma. Of the past now, does it mean I'm all, I'm all free? No, I've still got work to do. <laughs> if I can ever get into the... Yeah, I still, I've got, I've got work to do, but anyway, anyway, that was a rabbit hole and I'm going to have to figure out why I went down. It was a reason why I went down that path, but I, oh, I think it was because in me listening to this video with these 16 tactics, I was struck by how many of those I could relate to that I had hardcore evidence that, yep. That was a tactic used on me. That was another one. That was another one. It it struck me. And so I'm, I think 
this is kind of how I fell in that rabbit hole because there's a, I'm kind of befuddled, if you will. Like, how how is it on one hand, I have embraced the trauma and on another hand, I'm like, damn, <laughs> you know, I'm like surprised by it. I don't know the answer to it. I don't know if it's because I'm in denial. I think, okay, something just hit me. I just had an FI sensation. I always have to explain this. If you're new, an FI sensation. FI is introverted feeling. Somebody said it could be F-I-S-E, but I call it FI. It's when I stumble on some truth and a wave on a, a wave of emotion goes through my body. And I've correlated it. That's I just stumbled on some truth. There it is. It just happened. So just as I was talking, just a second ago, a wave of emotion just went through me like I could just burst out into tears. Not because what I'm talking about is really sad. It's because I, cause I was like, I don't know why on one hand I can say, yes, I'm from intergenerational trauma. I'm healing. And then I can listen to a, a video and be like shocked. <laughs> and I think it's because of the person that used the tactics on me. That's what it is. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. <sighs> mm. Um, the person. Um, it's hard. It's hard for me to even name the person. It's very, very hard because I. It's hard because of the the deity that's assigned to this role in society. You know, how we value this particular role. And so it's like breaking like some social taboos. You don't talk negative. You don't talk negatively. You don't talk about your family negatively, period. And you definitely don't talk about this person. And I think the other reason why it becomes difficult is because this person was responsible for me in my own development, my sense of right and wrong, my, my identity, you know, not now. Well, yeah, I guess I think that there's some residue. I'm I'm still working through it. Let me not lie. I'm still working through it. I'm not even gonna lie. Um, and I think I haven't found a way to reconcile that. I haven't found a way to reconcile that this very person that gave me life, that raised me, that gave that had that did some beautiful things for me was also the person to deploy these tactics. And um, so I'm just gonna say, yeah, that's that. It's I'm I'm having a moment right now. If you can hear it in me, like it's sad, and it's not sad because of what I experienced. I mean, that's sad, but I'm not even. That's not even what I'm having emotions about right now. I'm having emotions that even though I experienced those tactics, those experiences that I. Feel like I cannot own it. I cannot tell people that. That's what's sad for me right now. That 
I have to live as though that didn't happen. I'm going to curse again. So fast forward. (laughs) It's mind fucking. That's what it is. It's mind fucking. It happened, but it didn't happen. So all of the impacts of the thing happening is there. But I can't. I can't own it. I can't. And what does that mean to own it? What does that even mean? What does it mean to own it? Does it mean to walk around with a t-shirt on? (laughs) No, I don't think so. I don't think that's what I want. But I think, so you know how I carry, I'm an INTJ8. I'm an African-American woman. I'm an educator. I'm a social scientist. Like those are ident, those are identities that are born out of experiences. I, I own those things. Just so you know, if I talked about these tactics in a more public way, what would it do? What would it do to my work? You know, I think about when I'm working with kids and you guys know I was subbing. And one of the things I can do when I'm working with kids is that I can see a lot of that. So those kids may be never able to put words to it. They don't have to because I can, I know what's going on. I know what they need. That's about the extent that I've been able to own it. And then like when I do, I started doing some essay writing under an, uh, uh, another alias. I dabble in it a little bit, but, and I did an episode called Truth just a little while ago, a few weeks ago, but maybe a month. It's been in season seven. We're in season seven. And I did an episode. I have to go back and listen to it. And once I do this recording, I'm going to go back and listen to the Truth episode to see what parts I'm re- are redundant. I'm pretty sure I'm, I, as I listen to the podcast, as the podcast is aging, there are some stories and themes that are on repeat. And I'm okay with that mainly because new people come along with the project. And two, every time I revisit a theme, I get stronger with that theme. And I know that when I write my book, that theme will be, it'll be the better. It'll be the better for the redundancy. <laughs> so just bear with me. If you, if you guys are a long time listener, you'll be like, oh, there's that story again. <laughs> just bear with me. But um, I'm sure that there's some overlap between that truth episode and this because it is not a truth that I'm very practiced in. It's a, a particular truth of mine that I'll I'll come out, I'll come out with it and then I'll go back in. And so cicadas, I think those are, am I saying it right? Cicadas, those are like insects that live underground and every seven years they come out. I think they come out to reproduce. I don't know why they come out. I mean, they're gross. It's horrible when they come out. But anyway, that's kind of, (laughs) as a gross metaphor, that's kind of like what it's been. It's for me. When I confront this part of my experience, this part of my reality, I'll come out with it a little bit and then I'll, uh, it's like I deal with it and I put it away and I I go back to being the INTJ8 African-American woman educator, social scientist, and all the other ways I identify. And that I don't deal with. And I'm saying, what would happen if I integrated that into my, forget my, 
well, I was going to say, forget my personal life. Even if I just integrated it into my work, there are people who are struggling, who haven't done the journey that I did, have not done the work that I've done, who would benefit if I could just be in it more, if I could just linger in it a little more. But there's shame. It's shame. It's shame. I can feel it. I got that. That FIS thing is happening right now. It's shame. It's shame that I would be the one targeted by somebody who's supposed to take care of me. It's shame because I want to be protective of that person because I love that person. Do you understand the, the complication here? But what would happen? So I'm sorry, you guys, I made you wait an almost a damn an hour to tell you what the 16 tactics were. But I think what I, what did I say at the start of the reflection? I wanted to give you an in, uh, insight as to the, my journey, the work that I've been doing. And I don't even think I've told you about the work. Can I tell you guys what's happening? Which has happened right now? An eagle just flew past me. Yes. And. Yes, and now he's flowing. He's flying over me. I'm in the car. He's circling. That's symbolic. That's freedom, y'all. When I, every time I'll see an eagle fly, and I pray to God that I'm naming that animal, that creature, right? Because I always tell y'all, I failed, I failed all of my science classes in high school. <laughs> so sometimes I don't even know basic categories of creatures. So. But anywho, um, when I see it, it's always a reminder of liberation. Like there's always a moment. I see it when I'm going through a moment of, of, of like one other time I was uh, leaving uh, my college that I graduated and I was, I wanted to get a job. I wanted to work there and it didn't work out that way. And I was, I was walking out of the building the 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 eagle was flying around over me and I I took that I interpreted that like there's that's not gonna that's not the place you need to be you that's gonna block you from soaring the way you want to oh my gosh it's so interesting because I've been thinking about how my work choices have prevented me from soaring in the world so y'all just keep holding me up in prayer as I move forward in my business uh, model, um, I've added a poor. I've I've added something to my business model that I didn't really want to do initially because I, but I think it gives me it gives me room to soar, if you will. So anyway, so that was interesting, and now I don't see him. It, it, it was flying around, and I don't see it anymore. Interesting. Anyway, <laughs> so what would happen if I embraced that part of my story? So I, I, um, I, I don't know if I've told you the, I don't know if I've told you the work that I've been doing to heal, but I can definitely tell you I've been doing the work. And part of doing the work is confronting it, learning it, confronting it. It's just, and I, and I still have work to do. And so it has affected, I wonder if, if I, it, ugh, I think 
And I think it affects my work choices, but even in my personal relationships. There are things I'm just not tolerant of. I'm not going to tolerate in a personal relationship, be it romantic or platonic. I'm not going to tolerate it now that I know certain behaviors are problematic. Now, the, it, does it make me oversensitive? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm, am I over? I'm over intolerant. I'm, I'm so intolerant. Mm-mm, nope. Nope. And it's not that I'm intolerant where I'm not going to deal with you. One of the things I've been learning or confronting, not learning, but confronting recently with my heart coach, that once I determine that you are not good for me, but there are parts of you that are good, I don't remove my, this is something I need to work on because I don't feel like this is, this feels problematic to me. I will stay in that relationship, but not be fully invested. You're not getting all of me anymore. So I remove parts of myself. That's And on one hand, it works. But the person on the receiving end of, of, of the, um, the person on the receiving end of experiencing the partial me know that they're not getting all of me. And then I'm like, why do you feel like you're entitled to all of me? And there's a poem I wrote about that seven years ago and that's how I function and my heart coach has been on the receiving end of that over the last couple of months and it's made her a little defensive and then her her defensiveness you know you guys have know you know I've been talking about I've been in this bubble with her and I, I I think it's her shit and my shit coming to the table because I withdrew but didn't stop going to her And she knew I was withdrawing. She knew it. We've been working together for a while. She knew it. And, but she didn't know what it was though. She knew it was something. She knew I would, she saw the behavior, but she didn't know what it, she didn't really know what I was doing. She was trying to diagnose it and, and she was going places that I was challenging her. Don't, you can go there, but then, uh, you know. And so we we had a really good meeting this last week. It was really good. And she said, thank you. Thank you for sharing some things. And I, I don't like to share things with her because I don't want to teach you. I think I told you guys that. I don't feel it's my place to teach her. But I'm coming to terms that I might have to a little bit. And as long as she acknowledges that. So anyway, I'd love to process that with you in, in some other point, some other time. Cause I, it's not, there's some goodies in that story that I would love to share with you. But anyway, so that's, that's the thing I withdraw. And I think that that comes from the childhood because when somebody is mistreating you and they're your caregiver and you're a child, you can't with, you can't do anything about it physically. So you learn to find these coping mechanisms, whether you distance yourself from your own body, you distance yourself from your own sense of self, and you distance yourself from love. Because that ain't love. So that ain't the kind of love I want. So you learn to distance yourself. and then you, Or you learn to play. Oh, this is love? Oh, you love me? Oh, I love you too. Mm-mm. I woke up this morning. This morning, one of the, a quote came to me. Not a quote for somebody else. <laughs> My own quote. 
It's going to be a quote, rather. But the words came to me. The biggest lie that was ever told to me was, I love you. That's what I woke up with this morning. The biggest lie ever told to me was, I love you. That's, so that's now, now that's going to be a quote. <laughs> All right, y'all. It, um, it's, uh, it's an hour. I'm going to just give you the 16 um, tactics and um, maybe at some other point I will give the evidence. I don't think, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to have, give the evidence to the 16, but I'm going to give the 16 to you. So I'm going to, going to go to uh, my notes. I don't know if, if you can hear me moving around on my cell phone. Okay, so the first tactic, so let me just read them to you. There's 16 of them, and I'm not going to explain them. I'm just going to read them. Number one, emotional neglect. Number two, gaslighting. Three, stonewalling. Four, covert put-downs. Five, verbal abuse. Six, malignant projections. Seven, sabotage, sabotage and pathological envy. Eight, hot and cold behavior. Nine, rage attacks. Ten, micromanage. Eleven, neglect and physical deprivation. Twelve, triangulation. Thirteen, pitchforking and cabaling. Fourteen, scapegoating and smear campaigns. Fifteen, emotional incest and parentification. Sixteen, sexual abuse and coercion. So the sixteen is sexual abuse and coercion. Uh, Let me kind of give you... um, let me tell you something. Uh, there's something happened with my recording. So I was talking for 10 minutes. After saying sexual coercion, I went on and talked for 10 minutes. And something said, go back. Because uh, of the app I was using, remember, I had to go to my notes, which were on my phone, was on my phone. Something said, go back and see if that, if your voice is still recording. And for 10 minutes, it was not. Um, it was recording, but you didn't hear the voice. And um, I was like, oh, man, but you did. But I'm glad you were able to get the sick when I read off the 16. So there were things I said in that 10 minutes that um, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't even know how to how to give it give it to you. Um, so I just want to let you know, I'm going to be a little 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 more disjointed because I just talked for 10 minutes and it wasn't recording. So I'm glad I'm glad I went to check. Um, so I'm not going to be able to have those notes in front of me. Um, I think one of the things I was saying is about, I don't know. I, w- I know I was telling, uh, talking about the impact of, I was going through, I went through that list and I went back through the list and I was like, yep, that, 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 that. And then, but there's kind of, um, there's kind of a, an acceptance, like, uh, yep, that happened. And then I was trying to compare it to the, the emotional distancing that I have around, I had around the physical abuse. Now, the physical abuse didn't happen with me. The physical abuse happened with one of my parents. And, but I, because it happened around me, that's another form of abuse to kids. You know, you shouldn't be fighting your spouse anyway. But, but then if you're going to do it, you do it where the kids can see it. 
I mean, it's just, I never even thought about that second tier of abuse until in that 10 minutes that you guys didn't hear. And I talked about in that 10 minutes that I was my sister's protector during that time of when that physical abuse would happen between the ages of five and eight, I would then go and get my sister because we're five years apart. She was, I was five when she was born. That when that physical, when the physical assaults happened, I would then go get my sister and put us in a room, had a little record player, turn the music on up. And, um, yeah. Yeah, and so in the 10 minutes of that was recording that you didn't hear, I then talked about how my sister became my protector in the other abuse that was happening. So one was the physical abuse that we never received. Now, my sister feels that that one parent physically would kind of did a, in the disciplining, went, it became abusive, but I never felt that that parent physically abused me. I never felt that. I know that he did other forms of abuse. Um, like more like, you know, financial abuse, you know, he neglected, he was, he neglected us, you know, but, um, and I'm not saying, oh, that's no big deal, but I've, I've just, it's not, I'm not like emotionally charged over it. Cause it's like, I've, I've kind of like accepted that. And that's more integrated into my psyche. But, um, but so, but my, my sister does feel that he was, he had, had been physically abusive to her at one point. So, but, so, but I know, I do remember being, I remember as a kid being my sister's protector. So no one was going to put her hands on, their, their hands on my sister. Nobody, parent or not. If I were, if I was around, and um, so that moment, I, I was that moment that my sister had with mm, that parent. Um, I wasn't, I I wasn't there for that. But, um, yeah, I was just not gonna let death my body or her body. And I think that had I been older, I would have been able to protect the other parent. I just didn't. And then that's the whole problem. Like, was that my job to do that, right? Was it my job to do that? No, it was not. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I need to start bringing closure. But my sister has become, in some ways, my my. Uh, protector in terms of the other the abuse that I experienced from the other parent and up until recently and I think up until recently a big part of that is because that other parent is sick there I told you I've been calling my person is the other parent you guys probably figured it out anyway and um so with that illness, it complicates a lot, a lot. It's very complicated. And so 
a lot of the ways that my sister would run interference, she's not able to do right now because her energy, my energy, is on taking care of that parent. And um, it doesn't mean that those strategies, those tactics are part. They're not part. <laughs> They're not. They're not part. And how did I tell you earlier? How did I say earlier I have, I've dealt with it? By removing myself. I keep my distance. Very controlled. Very controlled in our visits. Like when I'm visiting, it's a very controlled space. For the most part. The only time it becomes uncontrolled is when we all convene in my sister's house. I don't have any control about how. Now, I get, I don't always, but I can get a room to myself. It was a big deal. But this time, this visit, I got a room to myself. Because I need to, I remove myself. Or I come and sit in the car for hours. I was in the car this morning for five hours. And uh, anyway, there's a whole performance about that. But anyway, so um, up until recently, my sister served as a protector in that area. But in some way, so that's part of what has happened in the breakdown between my sister and myself. It's like that energy that she would use to run interference for me. She's using to in a different way. So that's. That's reasonable. I understand that. But there's something else that happened. Is happening. My that that person is um, using their illness um, to so, um, strengthen some of those tactics to intensify. Uh, I don't want to say intensify. But to become more sophisticated. There's a word. There it is. Excuse me. To become more sophisticated in some of those tactics. And they're working. So let me give you an example. The smear campaign. Yeah, that's been. That's been very recent. So pathologizing me. Because I'm, I'm doing something. I'm doing something to harm her. Let me give you an example. Um, I have been chosen to not be the, 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 the offs, even though, even though, even though I'm the oldest child, I have, my sister has been given oldest child designation, um, in terms of rights, access, access to medical information, duties and that's very hard for me as an INTJ because I'm a person I'm an eight I take care of things right uh, and I'm the oldest and so I've been I've been removed from that role okay that's okay and like I told somebody recently part of the one of the things I did is I didn't fight for it for the most part I would say I'm I would give myself a, a grade of an 85 percent I didn't fight for it I kind of knew this was going to happen. I said, if if ever, if anything ever happened to this person, I would be relegated to the kid's table, if you will. And so I kind of knew it was coming and, and therefore I'm not going to fight. I wasn't going to fight for it. 
And part of me not fighting for it is then I'm not going to be around. Like, oh, you got it. Oh, you've designated that, that, that jurisdiction, that work to someone else. Okay. You don't need me. And then I remove myself. Well, me removing myself is telling a story that this person doesn't want told. So I'm not around. Well, why, 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 why is she not around? Why is your oldest child not around? So now you got to create a story about why I'm not around. I'm not around. Why is that? So my sister called me. Um, this is this is around maybe August, and kind of accused me of making people feel bad when I'm not around. <laughs> it's making people feel bad. So me doing self care to remove myself is a problem and I'm like well I'm sorry but that's what I'm like I would think you would be proud that instead of me sticking around bitching and fussing about it you would be proud that I'm like hey if it is to be it's up to me that's a proverb that I, I hold if it is to be it's up to me if there's if there's supposed to be peace if there's going to be peace I'm going to create the peace and I'm going to remove myself and um so that's one. So the it's 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 the it is the victimization. I'm constantly victimizing this person. That's the that's what happens, and it gets really tough when I start trying to explain it. That's probably you know what. And getting back to the RICO charges, it gets difficult. And I, now I'm in a part of the conversation where I'm uncomfortable. I want to just let you guys know. So I'm going to back up out of it. Because And here's why it's partially uncomfortable because, oh my God, this is so parallel to this damn RICO charge because you've got to have a lot of evidence to get at the insidiousness of it because it's not overt. Oh my God, this is so good. Because it's not overt, you got to have a lot of little, lot of little micro pieces of evidence. And then in me getting into the micro place, micros, each, each micro event can be explained away. Oh, well, that was just blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's just that. That's the same thing with this Donald Trump indictment. All of these little pieces that they have to put together to make this ultimate charge, each little piece can be explained away, which is what those co-defendants are going to have to do. That's what they're trying to do, which is why they tried to remove themselves like they wanted to be removed from the the group. Because if you remove them from the group and look at just their slice of it, their slice of it can be kind of explained. But when you put it all together for the grand picture, you have a, it tells a story. That's the same thing with my experience. I can give it to you in these little, so what was one of the tactics? Smear campaign, right? So how do you get other people? I have been the product of a smear campaign as being the person that has victimized this person. I'm the bad guy. So now when other people interact with me, when I'm being, I'm judged by them. I'm judged by them as hurting this person. 
And if we were two normal people, I would go, okay, I'm culpable. But I don't know how to be culpable when a significant amount of time happened when I didn't have legal freedom. I didn't have the freedom to to remove myself. And even now that as, as an adult, I have the freedom to remove myself, then that removal is a problem. I'm damned if I do. I'm damned if I don't. So last night, ironically, see, I'm, I don't want to give these little, that's, I do and I don't. I'm going to have to write about it because I don't think I'm going to be able to explain it to the point where you can go, yep. And that's hard for me. I'd rather just keep it to myself. Um, But last night, someone said to me, it was my sister's friend and we were just talking and she made some reference as to me being hurtful to to my my person to my my parent and then she followed up with but your sister this is her talking she said but your sister has explained to me the things that were done to you that the, you, the thing you're doing, <laughs> the things that I'm doing to take care of myself isn't about assaulting that person. It's about protecting myself and keeping myself healthy. Now, I didn't even bring it up. So that that means there's a conversation that my sister had to defend me. So how, and like I said, and I said, I understand my parent having friends telling their story to their friends. You have a daughter that's harming you. You tell it to your friend. I get that. Why is it that? Why is that story passed down to the friend's daughter? Why is that story passed down to other family members? For that story to make it. So to everybody, I must be a monster. I'm a monster. I'm a monster. I'm going to close here, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to. I'm, I'm getting into my feelings and I just don't, I don't like the way it feels right now. So, but I'm going to be on. This is an authenticity project. <laughs> I'm not going to delete it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my goodness gracious. Um, this is why um, the INTJ, John, the guy, the content creator, uh, he, I think he goes by Just Call Me John. I call him the INTJ, INTJ John. He did a video called Why Myers-Briggs Saved His Life, I think. And you might think that's hyperbolic, but I relate to that so well. Because I've been raised to believe I'm the bad guy. It, every there are so many parts of my prop being that's problematic. I'm too much this. I'm not enough that. That I had nobody to come in there. I've never. I've never been because the other parent was absent. That my identity was at the hands of this per, the person, the parent that stayed. 
And then I was on the receiving end of being, of learning about me in a very projected way, right? That's one of the tactics you're projecting onto me. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. And I believed a lot of those things. I did. I did for a long, 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 long time. And I found personality theory. And that helped me. It helped. It helped me to understand the things that were really me and the things that weren't. And even though there are things that are me, this person turned it around and made it toxic. So there were things that I tried to distance myself from my own person because it was bad. No. And I remember it was about five years ago. My person said, I'm so glad that you found something that can make you feel good. It was said in such a tongue in cheek way. It was almost like, because you no longer have the ability. You no longer have the ability to make me war against myself in that way. I still war against myself. When I indulge in adult beverages in a way that's not healthy, that's, that's, that's a product of that. But it's so good to know that, which is why I, I take, I constantly work on it. I constantly work on it because that is not, now when I learn the things that are a byproduct of that environment, that situation, we have to, we got to address, address that. We have to. And it's continuous. It's not like you do it and check, it's done. You got to keep reinforcing the healthy boundaries that you have to set for yourself when you're coming out of a situation like that. Um, the stonewalling, not understanding, not understanding why a parent would remove their love, not understanding that. Um, growing up, knowing something is wrong. Like, I, this person doesn't like me. Well, the person said they didn't like me. <laughs> I grew up hearing that. I, I don't like you. You're not likable. Do you understand the psychological impact when a caregiver says that to you? Um, I only love you because I have to. That is said to me now. It's just not said to me in that way. So me, me being removed as a person that can be at uh, being removed from my role as the oldest. And here's, this is what I had to tell the person recently. Listen, you raised me to take on this identity as the oldest because as the oldest, I was responsible. If things didn't go wrong, if the things didn't go as they were supposed to, I got punished. I got spanked. I got put on punishment because as the oldest, I was supposed to do better, which was probably another form of abuse, right? Okay. So I was raised with this. If I found, if I had money, I was supposed to share half of my money with my sister. If I found money, I would find money, have to give half. I was raised to believe that is my job to be the one that's to take care of things. So you have to understand how deeply gut wrenching this is for me to have been removed from this part of the journey. To be demoted 
and for my sister to do. But one thing that is, so this is my sister's done. My sister doesn't, almost all, almost all things, my sister will not do without my consent. So while she's the chosen person, I'm still, I still have a say. My sister makes sure, I would say 85 to 90% of the time, my sister's made sure I have access. But it causes a strain between us because that's what the funk, that's partially what they're supposed to do. And I don't play. I say, I'm not playing. I remove myself. And then it, and then it looks like I'm, I'm doing more harm to her. So, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, this, and this is the story I do. I want to write a book. Um, I want to write a book about it, but. I think I'll do a better job explaining it and illustrating and then talking about it. But, you know, even my friends when I was coming up would be like, why, why is, why does your person do that to you? I was like, don't your mother, doesn't that happen to you? (laughs) That doesn't happen to you? (laughs) I thought it was normal. It was painful. I thought it was kind of normal. So, I'm trying to think on the list. Stonewalling, gaslighting. It happened the other night. There was an event that happened. And we it's a story that we tell all the time. We laugh about it. But this time, the story landed. There was somebody in the room where this story didn't look funny. It had a race component to it. And somebody in the room was married to somebody white. And so it wasn't funny. And my person tried to remove the race part of the story. And we were like, no. And so my my sister was like, no, this is not, you know. And that person got livid. And I kept whispering to my sister, She's going to take that out on me. You're you're poking the bear. Because <laughs> my sister was like making the point. No. No, we've told this story a thousand times. No. You can't change the story. And my person was getting upset and upset and upset. And all I kept, I whispered to my sister several times. I said, she's going to take that out on me. She's not going to be upset with you. And I said it. Because she kind of started giving me this look and directing her comments to me. I'm like, why are you, I said, why are you directing that to me? I'm not the one saying anything. Well, because you, (laughs) and I think I told you guys recently, like when something happened, something that my sister did that made this person upset. I was like, I didn't do it. Look at me. It wasn't me. (laughs) So there's still, there's still that, that happening, that, the projecting, the stonewalling, the gaslighting, the all of the things that all of those tactics. But I don't think, I, and I'm closing here. I don't think that I ever experienced. I've never seen a list that was so comprehensive and yet so concise. And so I would love to use that list. It was to um, in my book whenever I get around to writing it. And maybe one day just to write write that up, even if it's not in a book, just to do a write up write up on it. 
because I said this summer that I was going to do a timeline of the major events that I felt were harmful, like the the ones that I consciously remember. And then I can look at a, a list and it'll bring up new memories like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I said I need to write that down. I need to write it down. I've never written it. Never written it. I've been so distanced from it. And I want to integrate it. I've got to find a way to integrate it. I don't know how I'm going to because it will be deeply problematic to do so in my family. One time I went to Facebook and I said something and, and my sister said, I'm sad that you had to do that. I think I told you guys this already. She said, I'm sad that you had to go to Facebook and do it. I did because I had to affirm. I had to affirm my reality because you can get gaslit so much that you say, that did that happen? Yes, I went to a public space to say a thing because I needed to affirm it. Affirm my, my sanity. Yes. My sister didn't say, I, I wish you wouldn't have lied on Facebook. That's not what she said. She said, I'm sad you had to go to Facebook to do it. Because there's a public element to it. So... I know that there's, if you're still listening to me, then maybe you can relate to it. There is an audience out there that needs to hear my journey of, of how I've tried to cope, survive, combat, heal. Um, and I know that it impacts my, I now, now, now understand how it impacted my choice in friends not so much my choice in lovers, uh, but the last particular lover in particular, the t- the, la- the second ten year relationship, and there's more to that 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 to be- to better illustrate. Well, probably the first ten year, the first ten year relationship I had. I've been in two ten year relationships, um, but it's that second one that was so destabilizing for me, and I think that's because of these in that second relationship these these tactics manifested these tactics didn't manifest as much in the first 10 year relationship and there's i I have a theory as to why uh we have to talk about that in another time (laughs) but um yeah so um i don't know what i don't know how to close y'all i don't know how to close i would love to get to it what am i going to even name this because i didn't talk about the 10 tactics the, the 16 I, I feel like this is a continuation of the episode Truth. Now I need to go back and listen to that. But confronting truth, maybe owning truth, but it is it? It's not going to be enough to put it in an episode. I can't say I'm owning it by putting it in an episode. It has to become a part of my consciousness, a part of. Why? So part of my narrative as to why I show up in the world the way I show up, I need to stop hiding that. Why I make choices, the choices that I make. So people don't have to fill in a blank of why I remove myself from certain environments. So they'll know. Because I do not, I do not choose to be complicit in that system of harm. That the there yeah there's intergenerational trauma which is where I'm more comfortable talking but there's a part of that system that's targeted at me by this person because this person has said I have victimized her since I was a teenager 
since I was 12 years old, she said, that I've been harming her since I was 12. And everything that she does to me is because of what I did to her at 12 years old. Make it make sense. And yet, yet, going through this illness, I would not, it is devastating. I don't want her to be going through this illness. Yet, grieving is freaking complicated. All right, y'all. I'm really running out of time. You guys, if this reflection has had value for you, please give it a heart. I don't know. I don't know how it sounds. Oh, my God. If this conversation about tactics, you know, growing up, experiencing tactical harm. That's what we're going to call it. Tactical harm. If you've experienced tactical, tactical harm from a caregiver or you know someone who has, would you please take this link and share it? with them even if it I didn't bring it to a nice end if my moving about in this reflection has caused some randomness in you I would love to hear it give my my suffering some value please tell me what's coming to your brain <laughs> you can find me on my website at urinidom.wordpress.com twitter urinidom1 or it's called x now Ugh, facebook and youtube urinidom let me give you your assignment part of what I Part of, I could call this confronting the invisible or confronting the hidden when acts, harmful acts occur and no one can see it. How do you confront that when no one can see it? If a tree falls, does it make a sound, right? If a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? You get what I'm saying. How do you confront that? That's the same, that's the thing with the Rico case. So is there anything in your life that you can't confront because no one has witnessed it? You need a witness? You need a witness before you can confront it. I don't even know what, how, I don't, I don't even know how to tell you how to help you because I'm trying to figure that out for myself. How do you confront something when you don't have a witness to it? When you don't have neat, provable evidence as a smoking gun? I don't know. That's all I have for you today. I got to go. It's been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye. <laughs>